All right, there's been some big news in the past week around some of the rule changes to both downhill and enduro at a World Cup level for 2023. So I thought it would be a good idea to get on a couple of people who live and breathe this to help us understand the changes and how they might impact things. So I'm joined by Downtime's first and second ever guests, Chris Kilmurray and Nico Mullally, to dig into the changes in the rule book and what they mean. How will a semi-final work? Who will have protected status? And how does the point structure impact the riders? Will skin suits return? Is live radio communication to riders likely to happen? And plenty more. While you're here, we've got a couple of awesome discounts this month for downtime listeners with 20% off everything from 7Mesh, who are taking cycling clothing to a new level of performance and quality, and 15% off everything from We Are One Composites, who are making insanely well-engineered carbon fibre wheels and bikes over in Kamloops in Canada. For 20% off at 7Mesh, use the code DOWNTIME7MESH20 over at 7Mesh.com. And for 15% off at We Are One, use the code DOWNTIMEDECEMBER15 over at WeAreOneComposites.com. And remember that that code will only work at the very final stage of the checkout process, which is called Confirm Order. You'll find the details of those codes on the webpage for this episode at downtimepodcast.com. Don't forget to follow the podcast by hitting the follow button in your podcast app now, and also give us a follow on social media where we are at Downtime Podcast. All right, time to chat World Cup rule changes with Chris and Nico. All right, welcome back to the podcast, Nico Mullally and Chris Kilmurray. Nico, you've been pretty busy, a new bike park. You've been continuing the development of your uh, Frameworks project and hopefully we'll have a chance uh, at some point next year to have a full podcast episode to go through all that. So we won't go into it in too much detail right now, but is everything well with you? Yeah, everything's great. We're partway through this really long off season and I this week, actually, as we speak, I'm in Santa Cruz getting some pretty sweet riding in out here. So it's made for a perfect um, midwinter trip to break up the cold weather. So all is well with me. Be careful what you say, man. The team rumors at this time of year are strong. So when you mention Santa Cruz on a podcast, who knows what people think? Yeah, you know, maybe my syndicate contract will come through in the next couple of days. Fingers crossed. Team rumors. I was talking to Lyle today. He said he was finalizing some uh, syndicate contracts. So that must mean it's you, Nico. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for it to show up. Yeah, <laughs> Good stuff. How about you, Chris? How's things? Yeah, good. Yeah, kind of a, a little slower than usual start to, to training for a lot of the riders I coach. And um, because the first race is so far away, so everyone's had a different approach to how they want to get back to, to full-time training, especially the, the riders who've been training for you know, years or decades at this stage. So it's, it's been a bit, it's been a bit kind of, it's been interesting. It's been a bit hectic because sometimes I'm on call like normal and other times everyone's like, yeah, whatever. See you next week. Chat tomorrow, chat never. Bye-bye. So <laughs> it's been, yeah, I've kind of been semi-lost sometimes kind of looking at the phone, expecting to have 27 WhatsApp messages and having none. I'm like, oh, nobody wants me or likes me. Good. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure it's all kicked off a little bit in the last 48 hours since the latest news. But before we chat about the changes that got announced at the back end of last week, let's just do a little bit of background just to check my understanding on a few things. So the way I think I understand it, so Red Bull used to own the media distribution rights and UCI had the sporting rights, but now Discovery own both the media rights and the sporting rights, which mean they can control the rules of the sport as well as the way in which it's televised and distributed. Am I understanding that right, Chris? Um, yeah, initially that's, 
Discovery have been given con- control, a, a lot more control over the the sporting side of things than Red Bull ever had. Red Bull never did, but they had a lot of a lot of say in in some of the direction of things. Um, if you read the rule book, it does clearly state pretty early on in, in the amendments that uh, the UCI World Series, which is our new brand, I think, and the World Cups that go underneath the World Series are owned by the UCI. So it clearly states that pretty early on in the rule book. So four point zero one zero zero two or three. Pretty early on in the rulebook, you can clearly see that the, these these events are still the property of the UCI because obviously the Discovery, ESO Discovery have the rights for the next eight years. But beyond that, we don't know. So technically still belongs to the UCI. But for all intents and purposes, UCI are going to deal with commissars and, and some of the, the day-to-day runnings at the races. Um, but otherwise, I think ESO are going to call the shots. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So last week, some fairly significant changes kind of were publicized to the rule book and the structure of the racing. And I guess the biggest piece of that, certainly from the downhill side, is the addition of a semi-final into the mix. Chris, can you explain kind of what those changes are and how they fit into the racing week? Because I know you've done a pretty deep dive into the rule book updates. I've done a, a very sad dive. I've been through it about five times cover to cover. <laughs> the full rule book isn't actually out yet. So all we've all we've had is, is the amendments published. And if you check the amendments, uh, some of the, the rule layout compared to the previous rule book, uh, the numbers have been changed. So when we get the full rule book, I think there's still, I'm, I'm, they can't really give us any, any extra amendments over what they've already given us. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how the rule book is actually going to look. Once it once it arrives, but yeah, basically, um, for downhill now we've got um, for downhill World Cup, um, we've got the addition of a semi-finals. So the rules don't state that the semi-finals are obligatory, but for now it's going to be part of World Cup racing. So we used to have time training, qualies, and then finals on three separate days. Now we're going to have time training, uh, qualies the next day, and then two runs on race day, which will be semi-finals in the morning and finals in the afternoon. Uh, we used to have junior racing on race day morning. So that's going to be the day before, after elite qualifying, it looks like, although that's not been confirmed yet. And then we're going to have our semi-final on race day morning and our final in the afternoon. So scheduling-wise, race day is kind of going to f- potentially feel the same for all of us, for the riders and for any of us who work there. Um, but that's minus the juniors now, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and that's top 60 men and top 15 women qualify from the qualifier to the semis yep and then the top 30 men and the top 10 women move from the semis into the finals is that right exactly yeah for now okay (laughs) but we have we have protected rider status that we have to factor into all of this so yeah we've got a a slightly uh unnecessarily ambiguous uh rule for protected rider status so um Protected for semifinals is basically who used to be protected for um, for finals. So top 10 men, top five women. Uh, top 10 men, top five women, and then you add in the extras based off the current okay. world ranking. So you, yeah, you, you've got your top 10 from the previous year's rankings and your top five women from the previous year's, year's rankings. And then you add the next 10 best ranked men and the next five best ranked women. And that gives you your protected bunch basically and they come from the current standings right yes that comes from the current standings yeah got yeah okay and then from there to the top five men and the top three women are protected for finals as well yeah top so those those riders will also have permanent number boards 
uh, and they're going to be protected uh, for finals. But it, it doesn't actually specifically mention the fact that they have to break the beam in semifinals to be allowed access finals. It says that the rule still exists, which is just a leftover rule from previously that you have to you have to take part in qualies to hit semifinals. But it doesn't say anywhere that we need to take part in semis to hit finals. So either that's just an oversight or hard to know. Yeah. So that that was the, that, one of the first the first of many small little details that seem to be <laughs> ambiguous. Let's say. Okay, and that top five men, top three women protection for finals is that that's from the current standings, not from the twenty twenty two overall. No, that's from the overall. Okay. From the year before. So that's yeah. So we already know who that is. So it's Amory Piron, Finn, Andreas Cole, Bernica, Loris Vergier, the top five. Yeah. And Cami, Balanche, Miriam Nicole, Valley Hole, top three women. So they're definitely through to the final for every round this year. Yep. And are on consistent number boards. And they're they're on the same number board. So they'll keep that number play for the whole season. Um, yeah. and they'll they're going to uh, hit finals and semis and qualies and time training. Got it. I'm sure, okay. I'm sure they're delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Complicated. Right. Okay. Nico, as a rider hearing that last week, well, first off, where did you hear it from? I first got the, the press release where they sent it out to all the team managers. So I guess just a few hours before it was released to the public. Uh-huh. And, and what were your thoughts on that? Because it's a pretty significant change to the way a race weekend works. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I was really interested to see how big of a change it was because it was kind of discussed that there wouldn't be as much change in the first year when ESO took over. Um, my initial reaction was that it added a lot of racing. Like at the end of a race weekend as a rider, it's it's pretty physical and pretty uh, stressful as well. So it's it's heavy to get through that day and to add another timed run to it. Um, it's either going to make it a lot heavier or it's going to take away a little bit from the, the one run all, all on the line format that we've been doing for so long. So, um, yeah, more so like we should get into the, the points breakdown, but, um, that was, I, I guess the, the point structure was what kind of struck me as maybe taking away a little bit from the final more than, um, the three runs. Yeah. Go on. Talk, talk to us a bit about that, Nico, cause they've sort of, there's less points now on quali, I think quite a decent chunk on semis and then a, a slightly bigger chunk on finals, but not much bigger than the semi-final run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe Chris, you can, you can break down exactly what the points are. Uh, the points are um, terrible. <laughs> like, let's just be brutally honest. I think um, of all the riders I've spoken to, that's the one area, just as Nico said, that's the one area that's kind of like the extra riding, the extra risk, the extra time on the clock. Some of them are quite happy about some of them are kind okay. of like, well, we'll, we'll adapt, you know, whatever. But it's it's the inherent reward that you've got no choice to go and hunt that they don't like. So it's 200 for the elite men, it's 200 for the semi-final win and only 250 for the finals win. Okay. And then once you so, go down to seventh place, you get more from eighth place onwards for semis than you do for finals. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so it starts See. to get pretty, yeah, it starts to get pretty, um, I'm not sure what the word is. Um, it's almost like there's two finals like it's you, yeah. you have two shots in the day which um i just worry that like our sport for so long has been the the pressure and everything leading up to one run where everything's on the line and that's what makes watching the final or riding in it so magical and yeah 
offering two chances in in a lot of ways like personally i i might actually like that like i feel like i could be more consistent over two runs and uh and more chances out of at, at racing and getting points throughout the season but from like the the prestige and the what downhill has been for so long it's it's uh i feel like the point structure that way takes away from it a little bit yeah i i kind of agree i'm nodding away and i definitely agree like the the crescendo aspect of of world cup downhill where it is at the moment you know i think depending on what time zone you're in when you're when you're watching it when you were watching it last year you kind of go for your morning bike ride yourself or do your family stuff or whatever it is you were doing when people all tuned in together or went to went to a bar or a cafe or did whatever they did to tune in the story from the week's practice everyone had time to digest the qualifying results what what that would mean for finals kind of who's historically performs well um who their favorite riders are what the what the seasons kind of develop like up to the point of that particular race so the, the crescendo aspect of each world cup final and the story the micro story and the bigger macro story that leads to each race is maybe going to be a little bit kind of dumbed down dimmed now you know most most people most fans aren't going to have time to figure out what happened in semi-finals before finals comes around four hours later you know they're, they're for sure like they're going to do a good broadcast and they're going to tell you what's happened in semis and they're going to tell you what it means for the points but you know by the time you get the finals you could have a, a vastly different overall series of overall leaderboard because of the amount of points that's available for semis so yeah without actually seeing the scheduling for quality and race day and, and all the rest at this point in time, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair comment. And the, I think the intention is to show the entirety of those finals race runs, right? So top 20 yeah. men, top 10 women in that final shootout, we get to see full runs, which is a, a good thing, right? We've not really had that. I think Lozenge was the closest we have had to seeing the entirety of a track, um, but that's probably just the nature of the venue rather than anything else. Do you, you think that's a good addition? Because I can see why they're trying to do that. Yeah, so well, I suppose from what I've heard, they're, they're going to try and achieve you know the entirety of a run in ways that Red Bull TV didn't or couldn't. So live onboard footage is definitely something that's been spoken about a few times. Whether the, the technology is consistent enough, I'm not sure. MotoGP and F1 can do it, so I'm sure we can we can try. Or Discovery can try. Um, some of the longer tracks, the time gaps needed in the schedule to actually show a three and a half minute run and do recaps and deal with all the other bits and bobs i mean i'm not sure how much times in the day if they if they want to show the full 40 riders like 30 men 10 women that's more riders than red bull tv showed and red the red bull tv broadcast if you put the two together was still three and a half hours probably of footage yeah so what are we going to do five a recap show for semis and five hours of live tv um, sounds good but i don't think everyone's going to tune in for seven hours of tv in there yeah, I, haven't I, really know, we, we, I suppose the bottom line is we don't actually have concrete info, so we're just speculating yeah. still, still speculating to this day. <laughs> I hadn't quite thought about how much the story can change throughout the semi-final, given the volume of points available there. So you kind of, as a, as a fan, you don't really want to miss it, but it's a big day of television if you're going to watch 60 and 15 and then 30 and 10 later on in the day, isn't it? Which I'm yeah. not really complaining about. Like if... If you get a, you know, if well, Nico knows more than me and more than anyone else, but if you get a top 10 at a World Cup, you've, you've done a good day in the office. 
And anyone who says, you know, I've had multiple top tens in my in my season or my career is like, I've, I've done a good job here. And you get top tens in the finals now, and you get you get tenth in the finals, and you get seventy points. You get tenth in semifinals, you get seventy five points. So I don't really, I don't get it. I'm not exactly sure. So I, I definitely think there will be a little bit of um, teething and discussion between riders, teams, ESO, USI, everyone else about the point scale for sure. Yeah. It needs okay. to be explained to us, really, from from the powers that be. It needs to be explained to us. But I think it's a genuine concern. It's, it's not it's not any any of us that are involved in the sport um, being unnecessarily bitchy. Let's say it's just a genuine concern, isn't it? Yeah. What do you think, Nico, from an athlete's perspective? Like, how do you think people will look to manage that over the weekend? And I guess maybe to some extent, it will vary depending on where you feel you naturally belong in that group. Like if you're a consistent top five rider, your approach to the weekend is probably going to be different to someone that is looking to push into the top 30 or is happy to get into the top 60. Like, how do you think people might approach that? Uh, I mean, I just think if the point structure stays the way it is, you're going to have to really push hard in that semifinal run. That's going to be, uh, as we said, equal or, or even in some cases more important than the final. So yeah. just so many points on offer. And and also think about the advantage of those top five guys from this year getting automatically through all three rounds where some someone, like it's pretty common for a top guy that might have an issue that puts them outside of the top 30. Like they could maybe have an issue and still qualify into the top 60 in the current format from this past year. But now only taking 30 through the semifinal into the final, a lot of guys could have a small mistake or a mechanical that would put them outside of that where um, Bernard's going to be pretty happy with his overall <laughs> protection. He should have waited until uh, until this came out to negotiate his contracts because he's, he get a lot more money now. It does make a massive difference. And I guess to some extent, that's why they've had to stack the points so heavily in the semis is to incentivize everyone to actually make that a proper race. Yeah, yep. I think they, they, I mean, even with 50 points on offer in the past for quality, like guys would go for it. It was still important. I think you can make it a proper race without it uh, taking away from the final and that you have, you have almost two finals now. Yeah. You know? What do you think? Go on, Chris. Well, I'm just kind of, yeah, thinking, thinking of the women, especially with the scheduling and stuff, I'm not even... We're not even sure yet. Like the points break breakdown in the women's is not as bad, but just as bizarre. Let's say as the, as the elite men, and we don't know yet scheduling wise for television whether they're going to run say fifteen of the of the thirty men and then slot the women in and then do the rest of the men, or mm-hmm. whether they're just going to run the women, or yeah, we we don't know yet. But what we well, what we do know from the rule book is that the podium is going to be directly after the each event, not at the end of the day like it used to be. Okay. So I, that kind of leads me to think that, you know, we'll g- race juniors the day before, have their podium straight away. Next day, we'll race elite women, have well, do semis, then race elite women, have their have their podium, and then then do elite men as, as we normally do. So I think for those top elite men that are um, protected, and the, elite, the top elite women who are protected who are guaranteed, they're, they're going to get a pretty destroyed track every, every week. <laughs> you know, it's like, if unlike previously where qualies, was top 60 in reverse order so the fastest got a, a, a bad but not a terrible track now the the guys um, and the girls who are consistently at the sharp end all evening are going to be racing on an absolutely 
written off track every every single run that matters is going to be a destroyed track you know yeah and there's been a lot of people talking about increased risk to the athletes we've seen a lot of concussion based issues a lot of crashes in the last year or so potentially more so than we've seen in a while could be related to track speeds going up i don't really know um from from your perspective nico do you see more risk in that like everyone's going to have to be pushing pretty hard for both well for three runs at least over the weekend i guess qualies semis and finals if they get all the way through yeah i mean any any time you add time at race pace it's going to add risk and then doing it twice in a day um a lot of tra- some of the tougher tracks Val de Sol, other ones you can be pretty smoked at the end of the run and then to go back up for another one i think a lot of guys will be pretty fit it'll be pretty physically exhausting. So yeah, definitely add some risk. I think this whole thing, it could be cool for TV. Um, and I, I, uh, part of me, like I want to trust that these guys from discovery, they know what they're doing and they're trying to put together a TV package. That's going to be beneficial to the sport. But I think there's a, there's a separation between what's good for TV and, and what's good for us as athletes. And we can't, go too far into just trying to be puppets on stage and try to make a better TV show without concern for the, for the safety and, and the preservation of the sport that we've been doing for so long. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, um, and I'm always willing to try, but I definitely have my concerns with it. Yeah. And uh, while we're on the topic of safety, I guess there was another additional rule that you pointed out, Chris, which seemed a little strange, which was that UCI elite mountain bike teams have the obligation to participate with minimum one rider at all UCI World Cup events. If this is not the case, the UCI elite mountain bike team status is removed immediately and the team is not able to register as a UCI elite mountain bike team for the following season. In this case, there's no refund of the registration fees. That (laughs) means what a fascist rule <laughs> just but, fascism in two sentences so would for example would specialized gravity have broken that rule this year they've i'm sure I, there was, I was trying to think of that that was the example that came to my mind as well in fort william with finn out with a concussion loic um crashing breaking his collarbone and i couldn't remember what happened to chris grice if chris grice was racing or not i could not remember but i'm pretty sure he I wasn't th- I think they were it, none of them raced that weekend. Yeah, and I guess yeah, I don't know what if, if that if this current rule that's going to be brought in next year, I can't remember what number it is four zero three thirteen or something is it four eighteen zero one nine whatever. There you go. Um, yeah, so you know, at the second round of the series twenty twenty two, you're telling me that ESO UCI whoever is going to walk over to Laurent Delorme and tell him, "Yeah, sorry, Laurent, um, you're out, boys." That's it. Like, I, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. So it's another one that needs clarification for sure. Strange one. Does it? But, does it mean that if they try to race the weekend, like I think Lloyd got hurt at the event, is that kicking them out, or is it they need to show up to the event with the intention of filling the slot? There you go. Ambiguity again, my friend. Yeah. It's, it's not very clear, is it? Do you need to break the beam? Do you need to register? Do you need to? attach a number board to the bike and do a lap at the car park who knows strange one uh, there's obviously a reason behind it there's a commercial reason behind it for sure which is which is absolutely fine because look that's that's the direction the sport is headed in and more power to it because it's a professional sport we do need a increase in commercialization and yeah but that that's a rule that 
needs clarification, let's say. It would be a shame if that rule ended up in riders that probably shouldn't be participating being pushed to participate. I don't think any of the teams want to do that these days. Yeah, uh, I, in in terms of like, uh, you know, some sort of a on, on the knife edge concussion decision, yeah, it's, it's ludicrous. Or even something as less um, contemporary or, or current as concussions, maybe even just a, a collarbone or an ankle that's, you know, five weeks in and not eight weeks into its healing and you strap it up and go racing just so you don't lose your 23,000 euro. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I guess ultimately they want the truck in the pits, right, for the fans, that which makes total sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like honestly, yeah, the commercial side of things, it makes, you know, that makes sense, but it just needs to be clarified for sure, yeah, like a couple of the rules yeah. in, in the book. And then could they fill in? Because you have to submit your roster in the registration process. So I guess you if you had both riders injured or all three you couldn't really fill in at that point yeah no they've made a new rule for fill-ins i don't know if you've noticed nico it's probably important for you as a, as a team manager but they've, they've made a, a clear process to have um wildcard rider uh fill-in riders so outside of the the transfer window and one wildcard per year so i think the wildcard is a genuine commercial thing where you know if you've got travis pastrana who rides gt bicycles or something or whatever he rides and you've got a race in North America, but you can bring Travis in to do practice laps in, in a legal fashion, you know? So there's definitely, I can't remember what portion of the rule book, and it's in the team's portion further down in the amendments, you'll see it there. But um, there's there's a definite system now for bringing in transfer riders and wildcards, which is cool. We definitely yeah, it is need it. Cool. Pink Bike Factory Racing did it this year. Uh, I'm trying to think of a few others who have done it or have tried to do it. There's definitely been a few more over the, over the years who've tried yeah. to do it. It is good. It's a good opportunity for riders to get a bit of support that maybe wouldn't have come their way had there not been a bit of a space made. So yeah, totally. So, it's a cool thing. By and large, you know, everyone involved in the ESO, all the new people who've been hired are all, you know, ex industry in, from different sports, including mountain biking. Chris Ball has been around mountain biking literally his entire life. Rory Cunningham is on board. Um, who's been around mountain biking as well. And, you know, brought people like Reese Wilson to the sport. So there's, there's loads of people involved who do genuinely have, I love a mountain biking and the best interests of the sport at heart, but we just need more communication. That's For sure. All. And Nika, you're involved to some extent in the rider union and there, what's the, has there been much on that? I know there'd been quite a gap without any meetings since the end of the season, which makes sense, but I'm guessing people are starting to get their heads back around this. Yeah, definitely a lot of talk since this all came out. And, and I don't want to say too much because I want to respect the safe place that they have to talk but for sure most concerns really with the the things we already talked about the points for the semifinal and um, taking more risk with an extra run and taking away from the magic of a one run final how the concern yeah. all fair and yeah like you said earlier chris the rules seem to have been written in a way that the semi-final could kind of disappear like it says semi-final comma if applicable in pretty much yep. every instance of semi-final being used which suggests yeah, so quite, that um quite high up in, in the rule book um it only mentions qualifying as being a necessity to run a downhill race so in the portion of the rule book not dedicated to world cups that's just dedicated to downhill dhi uh, it says you have to have a qualies and a finals and then further down when it talks about world cups it says semi-final if applicable like you just said mm. So there's definitely leeway for semifinals to disappear if if needed, I think. And if you look at the like the points break breakdown now, the way it is, quality points historically were super important. You get that 50 points for the win. 
which is still on offer now, but in relation to relative to what's on offer elsewhere now with semi-finals, those quality points are nowhere near as important. So yeah, people aren't going to be probably risking their the top riders, especially with the protected um, amount being the same to transfer from qualities to semi-finals. The top riders probably don't need to take as much risk. So yeah, does it suggest in the rule book if semi-finals didn't happen? then who would come through? Would it be the top 20 and top 10 men and women from qualities? Uh, it doesn't, it, you know, so there's, there's nothing in the rule book to, to help um, delete semis, let's say. There's nothing in there that, that gives us a clear pathway to just have a qualities and finals like we used to have. Um, uh-huh. There is, it does state in there clearly um, that if for whatever reason the race cannot take place, um, the most recent qualifying round will decide the result the results so that could be mm-hmm. semis or qualities depending on okay. weather or other issues um which makes sense but yeah there's, there's nothing in there as far as i could see um that says that you can just transfer directly qualities to finals but we haven't seen yeah. the full rule book yet either so no fair comment and there's some tech changes in there as well as a few other bits that have kind of slipped in so belt drive systems are now allowed nico does that mean you're off uh welding a gearbox bike together to go testing <laughs> yeah just in the past four days i've, I've <laughs> no um but interesting that that that's coming into it i think um like we saw with the 27.5 rear wheel being allowed um the next year we had a bunch of mullet bikes so maybe this will open the door for more options that way too yeah it would be cool and uh we see the return of lycra lycra elastine clothing is no longer banned not that people seem to be too bothered about creating quite tight fitting kit, but no, I think on... that's uh, just a, a pragmatic rule change, and I did discuss it with with um, a few people throughout the year, um, and some some people who do work for ESO. We and th- I think the bottom line was that pretty much everyone racing World Cups the last five seasons had some sort of lycra elastane material in their jerseys or pants, whether you whether you ride for Fox or Troy Lee or Darko or liat or whoever you, you, you lycra was in there so everyone was breaking the rule technically and um, martin told me that the uci leaders jersey was made of lycra yeah like <laughs> spandex lycra last day it's just like it's one of those materials that you want to achieve this sort of shape garment and whoever in the factory in vietnam or china or wherever you're making is it, like yeah this is we're making it out of 24 percent lycra this is how it's going to be you know so, it doesn't quite open the door for skin suits, does it? From what I've read, they need to be separate tops and bottoms. They need to be on the market and available. I think arguably it closes the door more than it was closed before, potentially, yeah. I think, if you read it correctly. I think it closes more. It creates more ambiguity that could be used against you, is what it looks like to me. Yeah. If, if the right protest, because there was some protests previous. Nico might know more than me, but there definitely was some protests previous two seasons i think there was team managers that protested or brought up the subject of certain riders garments and certain events so i think the material breakdown is a difficult one to enforce they don't really have the staff to be like taking clothing and testing it for what percentage of material it is but if you can write the rules in a way that it that it is now two pieces and appears to be sold for bmx or mountain bike then i think we'll get the the goal, which was to have uh, not look like ski racers, but not have it be so difficult to enforce. Yeah. And then I'm and not sure if I'm... The, uh, 
pathway, I think, eventually, because I think if you race, say, motorcycle speedway or alpine skiing or any any sport that's got a real, you know, a real clear clothing style, the the clothing is homogulated. So you, you'll have a little sticker on it or a little a little label on it that says, oh, this, this meets whatever standard and it's homogulated for FIS competition or FIM competition, just like helmets are for, for all motorsports, so Snell or Dot or FIM or whatever. Um, so I think it opens the door for brands like Fox, Troy Lee, whoever, Lee at the bigger brands, um, to have some sort of homogulation type. This this stuff is good to go for DH. And then that opens the, that opens, I know, like, I, I do a, bit, a good bit of work with, with Fox racing on clothing stuff and the amount of technology and ideas that people have work there and the amount of things that are possible but just aren't really necessary for your average consumer. But now if we do have some sort of a homogulated DHBMX garment thing on the horizon, then sky's the limit in terms of style, speed, protection, the whole lot. Interesting. And am I right in reading that radio communication to riders is now an option? And wasn't before, or have I misinterpreted that rule change? Um, no, you got that hundred uh, percent. All radio communications were banned. Um, trackside communications weren't banned, but no one ever used it. I think Martin Nico no more. Martin did it back in the global racing days. They did some trackside greens and reds for split split sex sectors and split times. I think. Yeah, um, we had but, for yeah. track world racing like a pit board. On the yeah, pitboard. Yeah, like which was still. I discussed it with some riders. Yeah. Where um, was that, Nico? Did you say Maribor after the Rock Garden? You had one. I didn't have one. It was um. It was like Andrew Neithling and Justin Leov who were using it, but they yeah. had a uh, radio up to a guy with a pitboard who wrote, like I think it was like a one, two, or three based on like how far they were off. It was a plus or minus one, two, or three seconds, and. They got that info and Justin Leo really liked it because he was a really calculated guy. Um, Andrew Neithling just went faster and crashed. So he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say it depends on the rider, right? And also depends on the weekend, probably, and how you're feeling as to whether that's a good thing or not. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, where you are and like guessing, like, there's guys ranked after you, where they're going to end up. It's a difficult one to to know that information like as a rider you you just do your fastest run and you don't really think about other people and that just brings more thought into it i think yeah but in theory this year chris you could have an earpiece right yeah well like nico's example there with with trek world racing that was back in the days when we didn't really have exceptionally good live timing on on mobile phones and we had two two splits not four so we only had three sectors not five on a track so nowadays, there's just too much info and you could have, you know, people the whole way down the track watching uh, live timing for your run and could easily give you ridiculous levels of info. So yeah, we, we could have done um, pit boards trackside for the last however many years, but no one did. But now you can have radio um, radio connection with the rider. It says with UCI approval. And as far mm-hmm. as I can see from what I've seen, it's it's for broadcast purposes, not for... It's for broadcast purposes, and it's not just for downhill. So it's it's applicable for um, cross country and enduro as well. Okay, what when you say for broadcast purposes, how how do you see that working? Absolutely no idea. Okay, <laughs> probably like the drive to survive when they have the little the little clips of the audio from the drivers. Yeah, it's maybe a, yeah, maybe a more of a two way communication thing. So yeah, they want some good they want some good um outtakes they're making us into reality tv shows what they're hoping that we do (laughs) 
Fair Maybe enough. in some situations, like we don't see it anymore, but think of like Sam Hill and Valdisol Worlds when he crashed in that last turn. If they would have said, "Hey, dude, you're up by six seconds," he may, may hit that turn a little bit slower and made it. Yeah, we don't really see that though anymore with the racing. Like guys are just pushing to the finish in almost every final, and it's so tight. It's rare to see a winning margin of that scale these days. Oh. Possibly yeah. more. It could be in the women's. Uh, race where that yeah. could come into play for sure yeah, yeah well, like valid. the same as um the same as taking away having semi-finals kind of taking away from the the glamour of the one run and done um radios take away from the the craft that is learning how to build a winning race run you know it's for me it's a it's a big it's a big no thanks but hey we'll see how it goes in terms of broadcasts and everything else yeah, it doesn't feel quite right. And course marking is looking like it's going to change as well, Chris, yeah? Yeah, um, it's um, the the ruling in the amendments has just been kind of decimated. Just a big red marker taken through it, so it's pretty open as to what you're allowed now. So, and from what, I, what I've seen and hear, heard, um, course tape is potentially a thing of the past, um, in some sections at least, and we're going to have m- more safer markers, I think, so the poles won't be as high. They'll probably be flexible. So if you hit them with your shin or your crank or your pedal, they'll just bend out of the way. Um, and then the outer bounds of the course will still be uh, marked with sponsors' banners like they have been the last, you know, the B zone, the last mm-hmm. um, four or five seasons. So, yeah, I don't, I, we don't know exactly. I think there's a test event at the end of April where these sorts of things will be trialed and the riders will be asked for their feedback in terms of, you know, safety and visual and stuff about course marking. But, yeah, there's definitely some changes coming. Yeah, cool. Be interesting. And um, there's a few bits of uh, info around EWS that are different as well. In fact, it's not called EWS anymore. It's EDR. Um, And some format changes there. We moved to every round definitely being a single day event. Uh, Is that a good thing? I hear a lot of the riders kind of enjoy the two-day practice, two-day race format, feel it's more of of a true enduro, but... Have you ever raced an Enduro World Series, Nico? Nope. I have nothing to say about it. I was going to say this is where Nico switches <laughs> off. Uh, no, I, I love Enduro, but I've never raced 15 in my life. This stage 15 <laughs> or so, and I've, I've coached a few winners and stuff, so I've got a good a good feel for how EWS has changed the last decade or so. Um, I raced a load in 20, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I think pretty much those five seasons so it's changed a lot it's evolved a lot it's a lot less enduring enduro than what it used to be uh, and now like you said yeah it's uh, one day only so not even like pro stages the day before pro stage is gone queen stage is gone all of those stages are gone there's going to be points for each stage on the one day event and that seeds the riders for the final stage of the day which is a bit odd really it's not seeded off time because that means someone could have won four stages and then had a mechanical and then fix the mechanical and not be in the overall for the win, but can still be the last person down the hill. Which, yeah, to me, I don't know. But anyway, there's a reason behind it. Uh, none of us in this call are, are in any position to discuss Enduro any more forcefully than Chris Ball or anyone else at ESO is because it's their baby, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But I think basically the bottom line is the change to a one-day event is because it's a World Champs event from 2024. So the first Enduro World Champs officially is in Lukerbad in Switzerland in 2024 and URL Champs UCI has to be a single day event that's just how it is so there you go that's why it's a single day event and my hunch 
of the change. So it's going to be UCI Enduro World Cup is what it's going to be called. It's not going to be called EDR. EDR is the code, same as XEM, XCC, XCO, DHI. And my hunch, my guess, which is totally just a guess, my kind of um, dreams, was that EDR is going to be the single day event for World Champs and for World Cup. And then END is going to make an appearance again as do what you want Enduro, but still sanctioned by UCI. That'd be my hunch. But maybe you I'm have wrong. to think this one day formats also for broadcast too. They're trying to make the enduro more accessible yeah. to to watch. Totally, yeah. That was their, I suppose, their original idea with the pro stage to run the pro stage twice. You know, do it on the Saturday and then do it the last stage on Sunday, so you could put the cameras in and get bang for your buck in terms of infrastructure. But that never really took off. And there's no mention anywhere um, in any of the documents the teams have had or the rule book. There's as far as I can see, there's no enduro broadcast in 2023, but might change, I don't know. Yeah, and EEWS also becomes a UCI world-level event. Do we think it's ready? And it's on the same day as um, normal enduro too. Okay. So when that's going to fit into a, a triple, quadruple header week, I have no idea, but here we are. Yeah, hectic. Do you think, do you think it's in a state... Of readiness though just like from a fairness perspective the technology it feels like there's a disparity in uh the way the different motors perform also how um sensitive they are potentially to rider weight mm. um there's a few things in there that make me feel like it's not quite necessarily ready yet i don't know maybe there's more legislation coming that we haven't seen but interesting yeah, there to was, hear it's definitely there's some stuff in the rule book about, about motors, homogulation and different things. I didn't read it in detail because I don't coach anyone who races um, e-bikes. So I didn't actually pay much attention to it. But there's definitely some updated legislation rules on the, the motor side of things. But yeah, from, from speaking to people within the industry, um, especially I was at a bike launch uh, a couple of weeks back and I spoke to some journalists and, and some ex-racers who were there testing bikes. And they had some really good insights into e-bike motor technology and just about how it's kind of a, a mix between the wild west and obviously if you have a lower mass if you just weigh 65 kilos you've just got it's just free speed that's it simple physics isn't it so you, you have to think they jumped on it too so that no one else did i think we're gonna see more e-bikes whether we like it or not yeah in the market and if they can jump on being the premier series for it then they took advantage of that while they could yeah uci yeah, will do that too for sure because they they have their own e-bike series the cross-country style e-bike stuff so i think uci in general are just keen to because they did have that spat a couple of seasons ago at the fim who tried to the fim the world motorsport motorcycle body tried to run some sort of an e-bike race on motocross tracks and everyone's cranks just hit the ruts <laughs> didn't really work yeah. so yeah there's definitely nico's 100 right there there's definitely like a grab it now and own it now before it's big type of thing yeah in a way, it's good to be fair. In the UK, we're still fighting to get British cycling to make enduro a kind of part of mm. their involvement in the sport. They look after the downhill national series, but still haven't kind of found a way to bring enduro in. So it's in a way, it's good that UCI are bringing all of that on board and kind of taking it all seriously. So yeah, it's good stuff. But like you say, yeah, there's some people in positions within all of this organization that know the sport inside out. So hopefully once we get there and the show gets on the road so to speak everything will be good nico are you more less or similarly kind of excited to get stuck into the season 
with uh, with these changes in place? And does it change anything for you with like training or setup or team stuff or anything like that? Um, I would say um, I'm excited and interested. I think change is is always something that sparks interest, and uh, we've been doing the same format for so long that there's a lot of new things for next year. So I'm excited to see how they all how they all run and how it all works. And um, I haven't dove too deep into what I would change for the format, but um, I don't know, Chris, we might need to have a little bit more downhill endurance than just that three minute all out. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting to think about it because I think, like we said, the qualities isn't, isn't as important. And, you know, the last two seasons, just being trackside for every session, like I am, like, I don't know if you agree, Nico, but there's, there's quite a few riders who are taking time training more and more seriously. So like four runs in, there's quite a few of the elite men, especially who, and the top junior men who are just like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. I've had an hour on the track and I'm ready to go. And they put down some pretty hot laps. And I, I actually didn't include time training results in my end of season analysis in terms of like sectors and splits and positions and stuff. But I think there's, there's a few riders, you know, like Bernard, Danny Hart, Amory occasionally, Loris, um, that treated time training like how qualities is going to be treated now and treated their qualities as semis finals is going to be treated now so for a lot of guys it's actually not going to change a whole pile where where in my opinion i think or at least with having not seen a schedule which is a shame uh, what where it is going to start to have an impact is if we start you know bunching up races back to back and in the future, if we get 10 or 12 races and each of those 12 races has three high intensity runs and you do five weeks on the, on the trot or six weeks on the trot of racing, that's when it's really going to have a big impact. It'd be interesting to see as well with more, more of the runs being broadcast. Sometimes guys pull out a, a special line for finals that mm. if everybody can see that, if the qualities broadcast and the semifinals broadcast then are our secret lines coming out and are is there more information out there and does that bring the margin even tighter yeah for sure and like along exactly the same lines of thought it puts a a big burden on uci eso whoever's looking after the tracks to do an exceptionally good job preparing uh marking and maintaining the tracks as well to give to give you guys the best canvas possible to just go do good racing you know and make it make it manageable and fair for the junior categories for the elite women for the elite men make it you know it's one of the few sports where we have juniors and elites of of both sex racing on the same course there's very few very very few sports that do that so yeah yeah do you think with that schedule then of semi-finals in the morning and finals in the afternoon we'd lose some practice time on race day no it'll still be an hour in the morning i think exactly like it was before personally it's just the elites will take what the, the junior slot that's my opinion, but we've not seen a schedule. I don't know what Nico thinks. Yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see what the time gaps are. If the semifinal is run super tight, but the points are the same, it kind of makes that, le- I don't know, less prestigious of a race. And and also still like a lot of time through the day to run through all, all those runs. Mm. Um, but as Chris said, if we can take the the junior slot, then that fills in there. Um, but at now, like if we were running one race with sixty men and only the top thirty were on TV, 
the 60 to 30, we're going on minute intervals. So that's 30 minutes of the day. Yeah. Now, if everybody has to race twice, it's going to be a longer day. And I worry a little bit that we get pushed later in the afternoon, a big, a big reason for going to 60. And when they redid the format five or so years ago was to not be racing at 4:30 in the afternoon where just historically there's thunderstorms in the mountains. Yeah. Um, if we if we keep pushing later, I, I wonder if like a couple of guys get a different track and if weather is more likely to come into it later in the afternoon. Especially if we've got podiums in there as well. Yeah, podiums in between as well for sure. And last well up up until now, um, race day morning, so say Saturday or Sunday morning race day, um, you'd have twenty five junior men and maybe up to ten, so thirty five total juniors racing from 9.15 onwards. And then after that, we'd have elite practice. So now we're going to have 60, what are we going to have? We're going to have 75 riders for semifinals, not 35. But we do have an extra hours practice to slot in there. So I, I, I feel that the, the extra, the hours, the practice will be one hour for everyone. 75 riders on the hill for one hour's practice, and then it'll be straight to semis and then straight to finals. That's how it's going to be, I think. Hectic, especially if you've got enduro cross country, everyone there. So it's going to be a slammed calendar, isn't it? It'll be interesting. Yeah. A lot of staff needed, a lot of logistics needed, and then I don't know. Nico, Nico, know more because he'll be working with his mechanics and thinking about the logistics and stuff. But if you do decimate a bike in semis or a body, and then have to regroup and go back up for finals, and yeah, does that mean that finals kind of has to be? starting half an hour later than it has the last few seasons. Does that mean we're racing at 4.30 or 5 p.m. again when we don't want to be racing that late? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, even some of the tracks with um, slower uplifts where we've had the hour practice on race day, like it's tight to get two runs in, your mechanic's normally waiting at the finish or at the uplift. Yeah. So if it's going to be tight like that um, with more riders on the track, it'll be logistic like some of these venues the pits are pretty far away um it'll be more important to have venues that are able to logistically produce the event than uh some of them were a bit borderline in my opinion yeah i think that rule's been updated is it 150 an hour they have to be able to uplift i think, I think that's the same the... Okay. just, I just it was in red but <laughs> yeah. yeah fair enough well I think yeah there's like from what I did hear from people who work for ESO uh, when, when the news was first announced and they were you know visiting the World Cups early this season just gone that you know a big focus for them was more practice time for the riders or an easier practice schedule so it's less jammed and you have less logistic issues like Nico just spoke about um, and more time for media stuff within the day too so if if teams and brands want to do signings and other media stuff so i think that that commercial side of things and making it a, a spectacle and a show and making it easier on, on the top riders and stuff is definitely in their plans so just how that's going to be executed we don't know yet so and yeah. you've got the sporting concerns you still need to cater to the 60 elite men and the um the 15 elite women on race day and not just the top five in each category you know so yeah a lot of a lot of things we don't know yet yeah, well, I'm sure there'll be more information coming over the coming weeks and months and maybe if there's another big release, we can hop back on and chat about some of the updates. But 
yeah thanks guys super interesting i thought this would be a short podcast and uh it turns out there's quite a lot to talk about even with yeah, just we a keep few going. i've got my notebook here. We keep going. have you got more <laughs> go on what else have you got no i don't know actually i'm not really sure what's there we, we discussed the ews <laughs> stuff it's cool they've actually they've, they've allowed some wildcard teams to in eso have put a rule in there to say that they at their discretion i think there's five so if you don't um, meet elite team status in terms of points from the previous year, you can still be an elite team, which is okay. I think commercially makes makes sense commercially to have that sort of thing in there. Um, yeah, you can clearly see the direction things are going. You know, in terms of balancing more strict rules or fair rules with a, a more commercial focus, which is you know it's probably what's needed. Really, what are you going to do? Yeah, watch this space. All right, thanks for your time this evening. Uh, very interesting. I'm keen to see how it all pans out. I think seeing the actual schedule for the weekends will help things slot into place a bit more in people's heads. But yeah, until then, thanks for thanks for the chat. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. All right, that's it for this episode with Chris and Nico. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thank you to Seven Mesh for supporting this episode. If you're in the market for some amazing quality riding kit, then whether you're wanting to try Seven Mesh for the first time or you're already hooked, they're offering downtime listeners a 20% discount using the code DOWNTIME7MESH20. That's downtime followed by the number 7, then M-E-S-H and the number 20, all in capitals with no spaces. So that's DOWNTIME7MESH20 over at 7mesh.com. Also, a massive thank you to We Are One Composites. We Are One are offering an incredible 15% off everything on their webpage until midnight on the 31st of December. This means you can get a discount on their new Convergence wheels, their recently reduced Revolution wheels, and also their bike, The Arrival. All you need to do is use the code DOWNTIME DECEMBER15 at the very final stage of the checkout process over at weareonecomposites.com. That's DOWNTIME with a capital D, DECEMBER also with a capital D, all one word, followed directly by the number 15 over at weareonecomposites.com. Okay, here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some brand new merch. And forward slash EP if you want to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word, tell your rider mates and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, have an awesome Christmas and get out and ride. (laughs) 